This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. everybody to another episode of previously on lost but we are going to sit here tonight and just talk about drive shaft well more like drive suck or wasn't sure where you're going (laughs) (laughs) no this is previously on lost guys we're looking forward to this episode this is absolutely one of my one of my favorite episodes in the entire series and i'm looking forward to talking about it uh but this is episode number 28 everybody hates hugo everybody hates hugo and i am mike one of your hosts and i have with me another host uh steven what's going on bud Oh, not much, not much. Just uh, thumbing through some records here, trying to figure out what to do on my day off. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> living freedom because tomorrow you got to start looking for a job. <laughs> so, what about you, uh, Corey? How about you? How's uh, how's the cluck shack going for you today? <laughs> it's going great. I'm just uh, you know enjoying these uh, wings right now, having a good time. I don't hate Hugo though. I I'm not part of everybody. I hope I hope I you like paid. For, I hope you paid for that chicken. <laughs> yeah, that eight, eight eight piece dark meat combo. Come on, man. Oh my. Well, look, guys, we are excited about talking a little bit more about this episode, and uh, so we're just gonna go ahead and dig right in because there's nothing really for the show and for the network. So we're gonna dig on in. We are probably 46 days on the island here on Everybody Hates Hugo. So Corey, why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened last time on Lost? All right. Previously on Lost, Charlie collects messages for the survivors' loved ones in a bottle. To be taken on the raft in Exodus, Sawyer and Michael swim back to the island from the remains of the raft, where they and Jin are attacked by four strangers and are dumped into a pit. And then a woman is pushed in with the pushed into the pit with them and introduces herself as Anna Lucia. After learning that they were all on flight eight with eight fifteen, she attacks Sawyer. And takes his gun, punches him, uh, and signals to her companions to pull her out. (laughs) Oh, Sawyer with the cocky mouth, which we're going to see again today. (laughs) Yeah, Sawyer really, he's he's got a mouth on him this season. I I think we're going to have a lot more uh, nicknames overall this season. (laughs) We had one tonight that I'm not allowed to say because I have to keep this a PG podcast. (laughs) so oh but tell us a little bit about this episode steven all right this was uh season two episode four it first aired october 12th 2005 directed by alan taylor written by edward kitsis and adam horowitz uh hurley worries that his new job will make him the least popular person on the island sawyer jen and michael learn that their captors are actually survivors from the tail section of the plane Claire finds the message bottle from the raft, causing her and son to fear the worst. Saeed's exploration of the hatch raises suspicions. All right. 
Uh, some episode facts. Uh, Randy Nations, is Hugo's boss at Mr. Cluck's Chicken Shack, was later John Locke's boss at the Box Factory, as seen in the episode Lost Walkabout from 2004. Not, not the best boss. No, not the best <laughs> boss. Uh, Jen is notable in that he is the only major character who is perpetually perpetually I can't even say that word <laughs> unable to speak English before arriving on the island in Hurley's dream sequence in this episode Jen speaks flawless American English as actor Daniel Day Kim grew up in Pennsylvania in actuality he was out of practice speaking Korean before he got the role of Jen since he had last used it as a teenager to speak to with older relatives he was coached on set by a dialect coach and co-star Young Jin Kim to speak Korean as well as someone who lived there all his life yeah, this is it's a really interesting story there because uh, I later went back and in watched some Yunjin Kim movies and random stuff. She is like a superstar in uh, Korea, yeah, South Korea. And then for her to be the one that speaks English is funny. And where uh, <laughs> uh, Kim, he speaks. Uh, you know, perfect English. He's from here, and he's the one that's, that he's can only speak Korean. Korean. It, it's, right. it's pretty interesting. <laughs> oh. Uh, let's see. The character of Libby was originally written to be in her 40s or 50s with Jennifer Jason Lee in mind to play the part. Instead, the role went to the much younger Cynthia Watros, who did not believe she stood a chance at gaining the part. When she did, she immediately moved her family to Hawaii with her twin daughters. Yeah, maybe a little bit of a preemptive move there. Yep. Yeah. Good. Good, good thing she's going to be on this show for a long time. That's, uh... <laughs> I love it, Steven. Oh, all the way to the grand finale. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, and here's what I didn't know: the revelation that Rose's husband Bernard was a white man was deliberately kept as a surprise, including for L. Scott Caldwell, the actress who played Rose. That was pretty interesting. Yeah, they, they they really don't hint at this at all. But no, I love that scene though. When when we'll get to that in a little bit. When Bernard asked about Rose, oh, that was that's a great scene. Um, this was the first and only episode in the series to be directed by Alan Taylor, which I think he did a good job. He should have had more. Um, U- unique when, episode too to direct. Oh yeah. When Hurley wins the lottery, the announcer on TV says, that's right, Mary Jo, because this is the 16th week without a winner. This is the voice of executive producer Carlton Cuse. Huh. Yeah. Why, why, pay, a, why pay a voice actor when you can just do it yourself? Yeah. This is, and then pay yourself. This is like, uh, like in Seinfeld. Almost any voice you hear, like on the TV or an announcer – is pretty much always Larry David, you know, the the executive producer, the, you know, the showrunner, uh, main writer. I don't know if he got paid for those, but I mean, <laughs> he's getting paid no matter what, so might as well. But it's weird. I, I being hope able he to got notice all that later on. I hope he got paid well for playing Steinbrenner. He that that was a pretty major character, and he voiced him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> perfectly. I need to watch some more of Seinfeld again. I hadn't watched it in a while. Oh, all right. Here we go, guys. So let's talk about this episode a little bit. So episode focuses on Hurley. We know that. All right. So some key episode uh, moments that that we all had. Um, you know, I'll just start off with with one. Um, <clears throat> 
Hurley and Rose, the dynamic inventorying the supply room. I I love the dynamic with Hurley and Rose in this episode. I really wish we got more of those two in scenes together. Um I thought they just bounced off each other very well. She was that she was that she was so thinking of Hurley's flashbacks and his mom in the flashbacks, who was always so degrading to Hurley. I mean, <laughs> you eat that chicken again, you know, you know, you're so fat, you need to lose weight and just so degrading to Hurley. And Rose is just like this tender mom figure to him that he desperately needed in his life. And just the dynamic between those two while they're inventorying the food to me was just was just really great. What did you guys think? Yeah, I, I love when we actually, you know, get Rose involved in, in one of the storylines and she can have some important moments. This was a really good scene. I think that she's always such a, a person with great wisdom and a great perspective on life, having uh dealt with you know disease and you know oh, i can't remember what it was some form of cancer right yeah. but but she's great when she's involved and i think this this episode is fun because we finally get a more relaxed kind of like status quo kind of more uh, a, a steady simpler episode which um which some in some shows people don't like, but in, in Lost it's great because it really lets the characters slow down and have these types of great scenes where Hurley can worry about the reaction of everybody when he has to tell them no about this food or, or the other, and and Rose is is a good voice of reason and good good at listening to some of Hurley's uh, crazy thoughts that he has during this this episode. Yeah. You know, a lot of people crap on this episode because they feel like it was it's out. It feels like it's out of place. Why do we need this episode? But really, because well, because it doesn't really move the story along phenomenally well. Well, the main story, but it it was needed because you just had like a huge like emotional draw in the first three episodes. You had. You know, Desmond, you know, you're, you found Desmond in the hatch. Now you're pushing a button. Now you have the orientation video. You have all these things thrown, thrown at you. And then you have this almost like a stop. Now, let's kind of breathe for a second because things are about to get like crap crazy in, in the next episode and keep going. Yeah. And frankly, I think we needed that. And, and also they introduced the hatch, this this crazy new uh, dynamic to the show and we know everything about how Locke and Jack feel about the hatch and the button. We've spent three episodes kind of going through that. Now it's time to get kind of the take of the general public. You know, everybody else, what what does the hatch mean to most people? Well, we can wash clothes. We get a bunch of food and snacks. Take uh, a shower. People are taking showers there. So the, <laughs> this is just like the natural human reaction to right. people surviving. And I think it's important to have an episode that kind of addresses some of these things and they do it in a really fun way with Hurley where he gets this, uh, you know, hilarious story. And also, you know, some, there's some, uh, uh, really important, uh, character moments in it too. Yeah. What do you think, Steven? Yeah. I think it was just kind of like you said there, Corey, it's nice to remember that, you know, there's more going, we have been stuck with this hatch story, for you know, for three episodes, all the way back to the 
you know, three-part finale of last season. So we've really spent a lot of time not moving forward a lot. And now we kind of get to see what the rest of the people were doing. I, I think that's, you know, yeah, definitely kind of a slowdown. Anytime Rose is involved, it it's not, not only is it an entertaining story, but the, the faith that she holds on to that her husband is fine is a really important, at least at the time concept of the show that, you know, does she, it's like, does she know, like, how does she know that her husband is fine? And I think it's kind of fun to get back to that, you know, as she's working with Hurley in the, you know, taking an inventory and, you know, he accidentally says, what is, you know, he says, that he basically implies that her husband is gone and she reminds him that, no, he, he's still fine. And, you know, it gets a great payoff at the end. So as anytime Rose is involved, it's a, it's a, good story you know like when she had the the little scene with charlie when he was struggling last season um i also thought it was kind of funny how you know her and jack had a had a pretty close relationship in the first season based on you know them sitting next to each other and him saying he you know he'd keep her company until her husband got back well now you know it seems like jack hasn't really interacted with her for a while and you know he seems almost kind of offended that Hurley told her about the hatchet and she gets the, she gets the great line. The, the, yeah, honey, I wouldn't even know what to tell people. <laughs> I'm not going to tell people anything. So it just all around. I thought that was a, a really good part of the story. Yeah. And I, th- I think that Rose has a special place in lost fans um, hearts because she's important in the pilot episode. She's like one of the first people Jack interacts with. And she has one of the first kind of uh, stories about, the reaction to the plane crash and the trauma and dealing with losing somebody or not losing them with Bernard. And, you know, this story has been set up uh, from the very first episode. I believe they talk about it in the first episode about, about Bernard. Uh, And so we've been waiting to hear if this guy is really alive for, you know, 25 plus whatever, 28 episodes. And now we finally get that confirmed. And I think that's really cool. Speaking of uh, Charlie, <laughs> let's talk about how much of a jerk Charlie is. Charlie's going down a dark path right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In, in all fairness, though, he he is always kind. You, you know that we look back at the relationship between Hurley and Charlie fondly, but you know, in rewatching it, he really was kind of a jerk to Hurley quite a bit. Yeah. You know, between. The first season, all the the jokes and not believing him when he told him he was a a millionaire and, you know, just Charlie always kind of was a little condescending to Hurley. And, you know, this episode brought that back for sure. But I do think it's nice that they've carried on the the peanut butter theme, you know, that really nice scene with him and Claire the first season. It's nice that they, you know, didn't just forget about that. Well, you know. Peanut butter is the beginning of many a man's downfall. So this this is where it happens for Charlie. It starts here. I, oh. I will say they, they did call them drive suck. So maybe maybe that's why oh. Charlie doesn't like Hurley. By the way, I loved I loved Charlie trying to follow Locke. And then Locke just kind of stops and just <laughs> opening up this fruit. And is like, I saw you back there. Oh, and back there too. And then I walked around in a circle. I'm surprised you didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> but 
But then the fun part of that scene is that he actually gave him all the information, you know? I mean, Locke, just, as, as secretive as he's been for the, you know, half a season, and, that, you know, he just tells Charlie everything like it's no big deal. It's kind of mm-hmm. kind of a funny, fun scene. And it definitely drew my mind back to the kind of the relationship they had back all the way to the moth where Locke kind of helped him through his addiction um, you know, these two do have a bond and, you know, I know we know that it may take a, a sour turn here soon, but at least at this point, you know, they got a kind of nice little bond with those two. You know, uh, I think this is like the honeymoon stage of John Locke. He's going to be happy. <laughs> he's going to be protective. He's going to be loved on the island for a little while here. And it all comes crashing down when we get Henry Gale. And that is basically what drives John Locke crazy. So, you know, we'll enjoy this, this fun fatherly John Locke for a few episodes before, before he goes to his lowest of lows. Yeah. Uh, so what, what, all right. So Hurley, obviously this is a Hurley flashback episode. We know that. Hurley, though, on the island is dealing dealing with some serious inner demons in this episode, like some serious issues. Yeah, I I have to say, I did not remember this episode being as serious as it actually is. I mean, there's some goofy aspects to it, but what Hurley is actually going through is actually, um, you know, really frightening in a way. I mean, I, I wrote here in my notes, Hurley is emotionally unstable. Like, he's clearly, you know, I mean, it could be that he's traumatized from a plane crash like anybody would be or from whatever his his obsession with the numbers. But he goes through a lot of of, of stuff, uh, you know, borderline emotional breakdowns in this episode. And it comes close to ending with him taking dynamite into the hatch to blow up the food storage. And like that is not just like happy-go-lucky goofy Hurley who is a little freaked out by numbers like he is he's starting to lose it here like that's that's pretty far well I think I I think that's where it started though was because you saw this crack start uh two episodes ago I think in episode two of this season when they start punching in the numbers after Desmond leaves and then Hurley's like wait a minute wait a minute guys what do you you know what I don't even care (laughs) And he just kind of takes his hands off of that. I'm not even going to bother with the numbers anymore. And you start to see that crack hit him. But he, he's he got some issues. You're right. He's traumatized. I, he's So I wrote down here, I think he's afraid of failing. Because that's all he yeah. feels like he, he, he's, he's known. Because he failed at his job. He failed with his mom. He never got Starla. Because we later learned that Johnny stole Starla from him. He lost Johnny as his best friend. When everything changed, uh, he's afraid of of failing on the island with this with this job that he wants to quit. That Locke says, "No, you're not." He said, "Okay, we'll see about that." And that's when he goes the dynamite, and and he he's afraid of failing. He's afraid everybody's going to hate him. That's the title. Everybody hates Hugo, and making the wrong decision. He he's because everybody looks to him as as the fun guy, and he's afraid of doing something wrong in this episode. I I feel like he his he's justifiably you know troubled right now. I mean, I I yeah. always put my put myself in his spot. If you won the lottery with these numbers 
and then everything started going wrong and you attribute them to, to these numbers and then you see these numbers on a computer from you know from the 1980s and it, you have to enter these numbers to i mean you can understand why this is a lot for it to take in and you you can certainly see why he is struggling and to me i i don't understand why they kind of force this job upon him i mean there were other people I, kate didn't i was you know she's taking a shower this episode i'm not sure what her job is you know Locke says his job is to convince people to press the button and you know jack's just being jack but why did hurley have to have to take this job they they brought saeed in to fix the computer i mean there were other people who knew about this so well, it didn't it didn't seem right that they just forced this upon him well i i understand that but it is true that he also was the one who handed out all the food from the plane too right so maybe they thought hurley yeah. was experienced he, he has experience <laughs> yeah yeah i don't and i, I mean, don't know it, it's not really fair because it is a thankless job in that you know, you're trying to stop somebody. I mean, to me, this reminds me of just any sort of like when you're in customer service and it's like, like I, if I want people to be happy, I have to say yes, but sometimes I have to say no and people are just going to get mad at me. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter that I'm doing my job, you know. You know, when, when, when Randy in, in the cluck shack looks at Hurley, when he pulls him into the office and he says, you know this okay cool you owe me for a piece and he says also by the way two napkins per customer <laughs> only two napkins my immediately thought goes to the manager in the movie elf where he's looking at zoe and says six inch ribbon curls six <laughs> inches that's exactly what i think about every time <laughs> well <clears throat> excuse me I, I think what's cool about this this episode is this flashback uh, does a really good job of inciting uh, or um, helping, you know, helping us figure out what is going on in Hurley's head at present day. Because the the day after winning the lottery, uh, or or the day knowing of whatever before he cashes cashes the ticket, um, he's trying to get himself in a good life situation where he can make everyone happy and he can kind of proceed forward. And everybody gets along. But it's just basically impossible. If someone wins the lottery, it drives people a little crazy because there's all this money and somebody wants this, somebody wants that. And yeah. it's very similar to the situation with the food. You're going to take 45 people stranded on an island and say, suddenly we have uh, this bunker full of food, but it would only last a few months, you know. It, it everybody is going to go crazy and want things and want a little bit of this and that and they're whatever this is scott's favorite thing i gotta get it for him so it, it's it's he's losing no matter what so the, the it's kind of similar situations do you do you think you guys that maybe he okay so when he had when he had the wealth because he won the lottery he lost johnny as his friend we know that Johnny never, you know, never, you know, really took back to Hurley again. Do you think he figured, okay, so right now I have all this food. If I do something wrong, if I hold on to it or if I do it wrong, maybe all these friends I've made on the island, I'm going to lose them too. 
Yeah, I definitely think that that's got to be part of it. And if you think about what Hurley did that day, so he, he figures out he wins a lottery and that day he tries to live, you know, just have like a normal day. Well, he quits, quits his job. He gets the guts to quit the job. And then, you know, he has the guts to ask this girl out and he has this great day with his friend Johnny and he's going to meet up with Starla. And suddenly he realizes, like, I'm already the man I want to be or I can be without this money. But now this money is thrown in there and it's going to screw everything up. And then from that day on, that was the the sequence of events that led to him being crashed on an island and living there with that hatch. So I think, you know, he's got to be thinking back about like that day was the, the turning point. And uh, now I do this with all the food. You know, I'm going to be in a lose-lose situation. I'm going to lose a friend just like I lost uh, Johnny, who doesn't seem like that great of a guy in retrospect anyways now. You know? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, no. but I guess my my concern, though, about Hurley is, is how did he think blowing up this food was a better solution? Does he not think that if he blows up a whole bunch of food in the hatch, that that's going to cause him to lose some friends. I'm just not sure why that was ever a possible solution for him. <laughs> I, I guess. Cause yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think it was a very good solution. I just feel like he was, that was his easy way out of not having to deal with what he, what job John made him do or John was going to make him do. And he didn't want to have to be the one to tell Charlie, no, you can't have peanut butter. No, you can't have the steak dinner, but you can have this, you know, box of cereal. And he's just like, I'm, I, I don't want to deal with it. I'll just blow it up. So, okay. So what else about this episode did you guys have on here? Well, I really liked the, the mini story of Jack and Saeed and yeah. inspecting the, the hatch foundation. And I think this is one of those moments that, when you first watch it, it might just seem a little boring, like, okay, whatever. They're looking at a bunch of concrete and drains. What What is this even about? But now this has got to be like a top uh, losty nerd uh, moment, not necessarily because it's that entertaining, but it informs us a lot about the Swan Station and all the theorizing that would go on about the Swan Station for the next five years or so. Uh, this in, this scene had a lot of uh, solid con- concrete, no pun intended, information. Yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> and I, obviously, the the statement of you know the, the last time I saw cement poured over everything like this was Chernobyl. I mean that that's certainly something that you know everybody remembered when they first watched it, and you know, and in light of a whole Chernobyl show coming out, you know, definitely you know, makes that timely, I guess you could say, but, uh, that definitely made you think. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting just thinking about Jack and Locke a little bit, like Locke is the one who believes so quickly that this is real. And then Jack is the one who's skeptical, but Jack then goes to do the research to find out, well, like this stuff checks out. It, it does actually look real. Where Locke, you know, he's he's doing playing some other game where he's and he's not really even looking into it. So then later on, he's the one who completely loses faith. Um, and it, it's just ironic that, you know, Locke was so dead in, in believing everything that Desmond said that he didn't go look and, you know, 
touch the concrete and try to climb under and see the magnetic qualities, um, you know, and ultimately when his faith is tested, he fails. Yeah. Okay. I, I also think it's funny. I mean, <laughs> this is a weird scene. So it's like they have this very serious kind of, it's kind of a cool scene with, with Saeed and Jack talking about everything and they are crawling underneath. And then I think they really wanted to get this scene of, of like, oh, uh, shampoo and have this awkward moment where Jack walks in while Kate's showering. So there's like this transition is so weird where they're climbing underneath. They're like, oh, I hear something. What could that be? <laughs> and Jack pops out of this vent and suddenly he's walking into the shower. Mm-hmm. And instead of like going, oh, sorry, and like backing out of the room, he just stands, stands there, there and talks with her for like a couple minutes. He's, you you know what he's thinking. <laughs> oh, I don't know. They got a little too comfortable on the island, I guess. Yeah, but uh, um, I swear I saw. I by the way, so I did love Hurley's. I think Hurley's decision at the end was a good decision because he said, you know, we could ration this food out, but it's not going to last very long, like at all, really. Because now at this time, they don't know that that more drops are coming. Yeah. So as far as I know right now, it's it's this is it. So his decision to just do one giant like barbecue or <laughs> or, or picnic brilliant i think it's i think it's a brilliant idea uh but i swear i saw scott in the picnic scene <laughs> or, or uh, steve <laughs> must have been steve <laughs> i still don't know who is who uh, but i know i think this is a good good scene and also or it's good for the the whole group of survivors it's not just about the actual nutrition of the food it's more about the morale like this if I were one of the people on the island, I think this would be one of the most memorable nights so far. We randomly got to eat a bunch of cookies and crackers and carbs and 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 whatever. This is just like the best celebration they could possibly imagine. I mean, if you watch any sort of survival show on Discovery or this or that or whatever, when they get food, like you have never seen human joy. Like when you see someone who's struggling to survive suddenly get to eat like cookies or whatever. So I think, you know, obviously great call. Uh, I don't know why Jack and Locke just didn't think of this in the first place. Just let everybody eat as much as they want. It'll be a party. My, my only concern with that is that they've been 46 days on the Island and have not had like dehydrated foods and sugars other than fruits and stuff. And that, and that, you know, long and the way they were chomping down on that, brother, some of that stuff was coming back up later that evening because their bodies were not used to it. Yeah, or worse. <laughs> They're going to have a lot of uh, gastrointestinal issues. Uh, distress. Just <laughs> I just said. thought about that. Eating like a bunch of like Apollo candy bars after having just fruit for the last three weeks. Like 20 year old. So, well, I guess it's not as bad as it seemed at first. When you first watch this, you think like this food is like how long? How old is this food? It's been in there for ten, twenty years, but I guess it's probably been dropped more recently. You know, within right. the last year or so. But still, it's like that survival food that's 
you know, dehydrated. I'm sure it's not that tasty. I'm yeah. sure it's not that great on your. Um, well, I I did I did have a one thing that really bothered me, and and I think we can chalk it up to it being a dream sequence. But the uh, part of the, there was a lot of really interesting stuff in that opening dream. But the fact that he just opened the box and there was a fully cooked steak dinner and potatoes, <laughs> like how would you store that? Like that I that wasn't an actual food item in there, was it? That was just something from his dream because oh yeah, I don't it's, think that you could just store a steak like that. And then he just picks it up and just like just dips it in the steak the- and like dips it in the mashed potatoes. It just. <laughs> I almost thought about using that picture for this episode image, and I was like, "Uh, that's somebody. Somebody may get a little disgusted at if I do that one." Somebody who, somebody who, you know, actually did that action had a lot of fun. Probably like, no, dip the mashed potatoes this way. Do it this way. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I don't think that's possible. I don't think you can store a steak like and, that. Yeah, it doesn't. I I would guess. Though that I agree, that did bother me at first too. But I, but I chalk it up to just being part of the the dream. Which well, I mean, let's talk about the dream. It's a really unique dream sequence. I mean, dream sequences I think are hit or miss in, in Lost. Sometimes they're super cool, and sometimes it's like a little too much, like a little convenient. But this was a, this one was great because it didn't really like give him any special information. It was just more of a. Um, reflection of what's going on in Hurley's head. Yeah, I I think it. You know, you one of the things you got to talk about with that scene it's the fact that Walt was on the the side of the milk carton. Um, obviously, Hurley Hurley did not have knowledge of that. Yeah. So the the question is, how is that in his? You know, that raises that question of how he would be dreaming about that. Or if that was just a little Easter egg the the writers threw in there. I think it's an Easter egg, but that that is interesting that that would be on Hurley's mind in his dream. And, I mean, we, we do know he would eventually become the next protector. So, I mean, he could have been given some, you know, some weird knowledge. Maybe Maybe it's Walt trying to reach out to him in his dream, you know. Mm, that's true. Walt, Walt does have some sort of powers, as we know. Yeah, I, I like I like the uh, have a cluckety cluck day, or whatever he says. <laughs> he goes have a cluckety cluck day. <laughs> yeah, seeing Jin uh, show up in that fashion is hilarious. What one thing I'm a little bothered by is that Rose, when she shows up into the hatch, acts like she's never seen the hatch yet. Since we know that her and Bernard were really Dharma employees from years ago, that she acts like she just doesn't know what was going on in the hatch. <laughs> I mean, just. <laughs> She's a great actor. Absolutely. Do we do we need to get it? Do we need to get into the like uh, Miles did down the road? Oh my! <laughs> it hadn't happened for her yet. <laughs> we still now answer was still never solved if Bernard and Rose work for Dharma. Never solved. <laughs> Just saying. So. Anything yeah. else? I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of out. I mean, it was you know, we we really haven't talked about the other group and ending up at like the lamppost um, station and um, and whatnot. We haven't talked about Sawyer. Of course, you can also tell even if you just jumped in, you could tell that Sawyer's arm is getting infected. Yeah, like you could tell his body is definitely starting to weaken down. 
Um, you're going to see that really hit next week. Um, it's going to get bad next week. Um, I would I would say on originally watching though, I never expected it to become a major storyline like it. I didn't never expected it to get as bad as it does. Because I mean, they play it up for laughs a little bit with him pulling the bullet out, um, and you know him getting punched. So, to me, they they didn't really make it overtly clear that that was going to become a major problem, and I, I think that was a good move. Um, yeah, you know, c- because then you kind of realize, oh yeah, this has been going on. He got shot, and but you're mm-hmm. not really thinking about it the whole time until it becomes an issue. Yeah, until it really right. becomes. Yeah, I, I thought that we had just enough of this story that was uh, satisfying. I think it was it was good to check in on them. And though I will say, Anna Lucia, she comes she comes out pretty strong. Like you you see immediately in this episode why she was kind of a polarizing figure. Some people loved her, some people hated her. You know, she's just a little, you know. The, <laughs> She, she's not going to take the back seat to anyone. We'll just say that. <laughs> no. Well, after I, I think what, my, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I, I said, I think my favorite part was when, you know, Sawyer is, you know, one of our heroes and, you know, you, you kind of, when he says you hit me again, I'll kill you. And then she kind of laughs, you know, you don't, you don't expect that reaction to, so, you know, to Sawyer, you know, dealing with our characters. It's kind of interesting seeing him dealing with a new character and, and, you know, yeah. she's a cop. She's been through a lot, and she just kind of laughs him off. <laughs> and Echo that... says it was just a misunderstanding. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love his lines, man. It's just a misunderstanding. <laughs> and this is the first time we heard Mr. Echo speak this episode. Yep. Um, yeah, so and he, kind of... he seems like such an interesting character. You know, if you hadn't seen the show, you'd be like, who the heck is this guy? And you know, we just get a little bit of him. We get what what a couple lines from. Does Libby say anything? I don't think Libby yeah, says li- anything. In a no, sense, li- does she? Yeah, Libby talks to Michael a little bit yeah, while that's they're right. walking. Yeah, okay. we we meet Libby this episode too, and this is one thought I had. Um, the we don't meet Bernard until we're in the station at the end. And it's a great scene or a great way to end this episode. But I do yeah. wish I wish Bernard would have been part of this trek. So we would have had a little bit of time to get to know Bernard before that reveal was made. I think if he was a, a character that was having a conversation, you know, walking back to it, I think that would have been a nice addition. But well, yeah, maybe I, at least waited until he got back to the other side of the island and then Saul rose for the first time, and then that's when it was kind of revealed when when he ran up and you know hugged her and kissed her and that kind of thing, and they ran to each other or whatnot, and and then I think that really would have taken the audience like, oh wow, he really wasn't dead, and and that's you know I think it would have really caught them off guard, um, doing it that way. But, yeah, I don't I don't know. I think that this. I do. I, I did always think it was kind of weird that, like, the rest of them are just chilling in in that lamppost. You think they would want to stay together after everything they went through, but I, I mean, it, it makes sense, I guess, if they're gonna kind of hold down the fort with what little supplies they have. But yeah, I, I agree. It would have been cool to have Bernard with them and have him be part of the dynamic of the pit and like what they're doing, because I'm sure he would have been, you know, had some opinion on how to treat everybody. Uh, 
you know, maybe in contrast to to Anna Lucia. But but I think the, I, I think the idea is they wanted to set up this dramatic moment where you meet this guy and maybe it's that people could tell when they started to introduce these people from the, the other side of the plane that Bernard was probably going to be one of them. So people are kind of like waiting. They have their expectation expectations set. They think they know like they think they'll know Bernard when they see him. And, and I think, you know, people, they kind of have echo be um, off in the distance. You can't really see him very well. Like, Oh, it's a black guy must be Rose's husband. Well, when you get up close and you see him, you know, you realize he's, he's gotta be quite a bit younger, 15 years plus uh, younger than Rose. That's unlikely it's him. Uh, and then when you get the re- reveal of, of Bernard, you know, it's uh, what it's not what you expect. And it's such a sweet moment, like the way he reacts and talks. Who is he talking? I think he's talking to Michael, right? Uh, Michael and Sawyer. Sitting yeah. There. Yeah, they were all hanging there. Jin, 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 Jin didn't know what was going on, but the all the other guy, all three of them were there. <laughs> oh. And yeah, and it, it's a great moment of like, oh, you're you're Bernard. Oh, okay. And <laughs> but it, I mean, it's a great moment too. You realize Rose was right. You know, this whole, you know, a season and a in four episodes, she's been saying that her husband is fine, and yep, he was fine, and she believed it the whole time, and nobody else really did. So it was, I to me that it was a great way to end the episode. Um, really emotional moment yeah i think that this is a really well-rounded episode i um i noted how like this is an amazing ensemble episode actually when you think because like as lost goes on there's less episodes that are like the ensemble episode with everybody in it you know you have all these separate storylines but this is one of those that really has everyone involved i don't think we've mentioned yet there's a great like you know, small story about Claire and son finding the bottle. I think Claire yeah. finds the bottle of the, the, the letters. And then she goes and tells son and is Kate involved in a, it's a conversation with Kate no. too at some point. No, no, no. Shannon is Shannon is there with Claire. She doesn't really say much, but she that's there right. So the three women are together uh, discussing. And I thought it was a really, I mean, it's a very super simple story, but I thought it was a, a good story of like, you know, Claire bringing this to Sun and Sun's reaction, of course, is to be, you know, somewhat devastated. But she ultimately decides, like, I'm going to have faith that this doesn't mean that he's dead, that he's all right, that they're OK, and we're not going to go r- reveal this bottle to everybody. And she she buries it, right? Yeah, she buries it, um, which I think is a good a good call. You don't want to freak everyone out when you don't know what's going to happen. And then, you know, they instead of them worrying about this and having the bottle hanging over their heads, they have this great feast with all the snacks and food that, that Hurley gives everybody. So I thought that was a, a nice touch to the episode. And I feel like it was kind of a throwback to a season one episode where you have the the ending on the beach, you know, kind of a positive moment. Then they always give it kind of a little dark twist. 
Um, you know, everybody was enjoying the food and the, the feast. And then you get this dark twist that son's over there burying this bottle that potentially means, you know, her husband is dead or in trouble. So I feel like that was a really good callback to season one. Yeah, they have that episode where it ends with a really creepy music and the, the shot of John Locke smiling. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, just... yeah, I think that that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you think about it, you have you you have, you know, significant lines with uh, or dialogue with Michael and Sawyer and Jen and all the new tailies. And then you have, you know, you've got Jack and Saeed and Kate. And then the, the hatch people, and then you have all the beach people. This I feel like this episode has everybody in it. I mean, maybe Shannon, she gets kind of the the short stick, and of course no Walt. But other than that, is anybody left out of this? I I can't think of anyone. Um, Scott, <laughs> uh, Nikki and Paulo, I guess they're they're not yeah. really. Yeah, <laughs> Paulo get left out. Uh, well, we did see the stewardess. But we didn't really, you know, we didn't really get much of her when she was with the uh, with the Taylor section. Um, yeah, I, I think, think to me, this is an example of why season two is so much fun. I think that season two gets gets kind of a bad rap. And I think, uh, Stephen, you said this is your favorite season, right? Absolutely. But I think there, there's some really cool character dynamics and. You have a lot of cool, like really good characters that uh, by the end of the season, in the next season, you know, a lot of them are gone. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, anything else that we missed? I, I just I want to throw a little comment in here because this is the only time we see this character. Um, is of Johnny. This this one always bug. You know, Here's DJ Quality. DJ Qualls is an actor I knew, you know, from a lot of other things. And there's another actor, John Hawks, who we see later on in Lost season seven or season six. He when he got casted, when I heard that John Hawks got casted in the show, I was 100 percent positive that he was going to be playing Johnny. It's like that. That has to be what's going on here. That has to be a grown up, older Johnny that they're bringing into this show for season six. And I was very disappointed that didn't happen. I, you uh-huh. know, he played, he was, he was, he was one of the temple, he, you know, he was like the second in charge of the temple. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I, the entire time of loss, I was sure that we would, they'd be bringing back Johnny and it never happened. I mean, he does seem like he was an important character, an important person in Hurley's life. I and mean, this is like his best friend. And uh Yeah. That's, that's it. Yeah, yeah I yeah, just see, I just kept thinking we'd see him again, and we never did. You know, I think it would have been cool, but I think I think his I I think it would have almost been forced because all we all we hear about it from Hurley from later on is that Johnny would eventually steal Starla, who was you know Hurley's wannabe girlfriend. I get I hate to use the word wannabe, but so he would eventually steal Starla from him, uh, and that's all we know about him. And he had a he had a van, and they like to steal gnomes. And yeah, go Johnny. Johnny yeah. five. I, I guess just to mention a little more about the flashback, I think this is is probably the best Hurley. 
I think maybe the most powerful Hurley story in a flashback is, you know, it's not quite as lighthearted as, as some of the other ones, you know, him stealing is dead. Yeah. That one is, that one's great. But this one, I think it, this, the emotional weight in this one is really good. And they, there's some tough moments too, like Hurley stealing all the chicken and that being on video and having to be confronted about that. And I love that he quits and it, it's just, a, it's a well, um, well-made you know concept that you know you're about to be a you know multi-millionaire what do you do before everybody else finds out too well he's got a few more episodes how do you want to get i mean yeah, he, heard... he, he's got like the beginning at the end the one with dave um that's a that's a deep dive into hurley's mind the episode of with with dave um everybody loves hugo's in here um he has a lot you know, he has a lot of good episodes hurley was the last main character to get a centric episode in the first season it was eight it was episode 18 or 19 before we got yeah. a hurley episode and i think the writers realize their mistake there because we get a lot more Hurley season two. We get the fourth episode out of the gate. You know, we get a a Hurley episode early. We get some more Hurley coming through here. So I think they realized just how much people enjoy Hurley episodes. I mean, I know anytime I was waiting for the show and saw it was going to be a a Hurley episode, I was always, always looked forward to it. So I think they kind of realized that mistake from the first season and really. Yeah. Yeah. I think that Hurley probably has the biggest jump as far as story from season one to season two. Like, I don't, I don't know about the screen time, if it's that much different, but it seems like he is a lot more involved in like ongoing plots in throughout the season. And I mean, he has like his own, you know, story, and that's going on um, between him dealing with his mental health and his past and the numbers and then how Libby helps him get through some of that. And then on top of that, he becomes a little more involved with the the politics of the, the hatch and, you know, ends up going on the the adventure again, you know, at the, in the finale. So I think I think he probably gets a big bump, probably because of how people uh, the probably from the reception um, how people loved him. Uh, Charlie, I think, is the one who probably gets the knock and, and loses some screen time, probably because yep. of Hurley's increased role. Yeah, well, Charlie had some issues this season anyways. We're going to see him deal with, with, with drugs and stealing babies and and everything else. Yeah. So. All right. Anything else, guys? I think that think that about covers it all right well we don't have anybody in memoriam this week so everybody makes it another week even scott um so let's talk about uh give me uh steven give me 15 to 16 seconds on your overall thoughts of this episode man all right i i thought this was a very fun episode i mean i like all hurley episodes uh but this one was a just a after the the first three episode block we had here uh, I thought this was kind of a fun way to to start going a different direction. It's good to see Hurley get a win at the end of the episode. Loved all the Rose and Hurley content. 
and that the reveal of Bernard at the end um, as as one of the best. So that it was a all around good episode. All right, all right, Corey, what about you? Well, I think this is this is a great episode that really shines. Um, you know, sh- shows how well this ensemble cast shines by having everybody involved to some degree. And, you know, it's much simpler. It's a much simpler story than the previous several episodes, several episodes, but it shows that Lost is fun, even when it's a little bit lower stakes. Uh, that being said, we do have dynamite that almost blows up, so it's not that low of stakes. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Her- Hurley, uh, Hurley's a great character. And I think this is just a, a great episode. Awesome. And I think it was a great episode because it not only showed how physically demanding the island can be, but it also one of the main episodes to help show the mental side of not just what Hurley's going through, but probably a lot of the losses are going through in their minds um, and uh, dealing with the mental anxiety and mental issues of being on an island for, you know, 46 days. So it was good. It was a fun episode. I, again, I, I love Hurley episodes myself. I think they're great. Um, I really wish I, I think I, I really knock it because I really think we should have gotten a little more Rose and Hurley. Um, we don't we don't see much more for after she stops him from blowing up all the food. Um, she probably had to go check in with the um, Dharma superiors. Um, but, <laughs> you know, they you know, they, I really wish we could have got more Rose and Hurley in the rest of the series. And we just don't. But um, this is a good episode. So mm-hmm. good episode. All right, guys. Well, this is the time where we do our rating system. So we are going to rate this between 1 and 23. Today we are rating between 1 and 23 Mr. Cluck's drumsticks. So, Mike, how many how many drumsticks are you giving this one? Uh, I'm going to give it 21 out of 23 uh, Mr. Cluck's light light meat drumsticks i don't want the dark meat i just want the light meat okay and okay. um and uh 21 out of 23 again it was it was good it had a couple of things that were kind of like huh made you scratch your head uh, but it was overall it was, it was a really good episode good episode all right mike well i'm gonna have to charge you for three buckets of drumsticks whoa how much do you think i'm eating bro come on <laughs> <laughs> hey that's 21 i'm just uh. saying <laughs> extra 15 cents for the napkins too mm. <laughs> all right well, i Steve. get two napkins per order so i get six napkins with this with all three species <laughs> you're giving me if i'm eating a bucket of drumsticks i need at least five napkins <laughs> absolutely <laughs> oh all right steven uh wh- where do you stand on this i also gave this one a 21 out of 23 drumsticks um yeah good Good episode. Good, good. Well, I'm going to be the low man this episode mm. and give it a really different score. Uh, whopping 20 out of 23, Mr. Cluck's drumsticks. I think we all are pretty close to the same spot on this one, and, and it was uh, thoroughly enjoyable. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We've got Sawyer's Name Dictionary. Um, we had, he called, had a couple for Ana Lucia, called her Hot Lips and Rambina. Now, I must say, he did call her something else that, because we're a PG podcast, (laughs) we cannot put up here. (laughs) 
<laughs> true, true. <laughs> so let your mind go, folks, what you think what you think he said. <laughs> and seeing as how Kate is on the other side of the island, um, showering um, near Jack, we're gonna we are still stuck at five on the total freckle count. We've been no stuck so- at five on the freckle count since like halfway through season one. Yeah, <laughs> we we need we need to get Sawyer and Kate back together. Get some it'll, movement going it'll here. It'll pick up. It'll pick up. <laughs> All right, then we got some pop culture connections. Um, My conversation, the music playing at the beginning of the episode, is a Jamaican reggae song by the Uniques. Featuring Slim Smith from 1968. Later in the episode, Rose is heard humming the tune. I actually didn't catch that. So that's I didn't fun. either. That's a good um, touch. Everybody, the title of this episode references the TV shows Everybody Loves Raymond and Everybody Hates Chris. Um, the Hold Steady, Hurley asked Starla to attend a concert by this Brooklyn-based musical group. Writer Eddie Kitsis and Hold Steady frontman Craig Finn were best friends growing up. He worked in a little shout-out for his friend there. Ah, nice. Um, Starsky and Hutch. Hurley is called Huggy Bear by Johnny after a character in the (laughs) 1970s TV series. Um, Sawyer calls Anna Lucia Rambina, a reference to Rambo, the deranged war veteran John Rambo, played by Sylvester Stallone. Uh, he also called Anna Lucia Hot Lips uh, from MASH after Major Margaret Hot Lips Houlihan from this medical <laughs> drama, Black Comedy. Um, Easy Money, the song from Billy Joel, can be heard in Johnny's van. Um, Braveheart, when Hurley and Johnny are caught by Randy playing a prank with gnomes in his front yard, they run away and Johnny screams, Freedom! Echoing William Wallace in this movie. <laughs> I was going to say easy, easy money. That's a fitting, fitting song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it ever easy money when you work for Randy nations? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Star Trek. When, when Ana Lucia tells the group they have arrived at a somewhat concealed arrow bunker. Sawyer does not notice it and wonder and wonders if they were going to beam us up. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Charlie mentions that he was not a part of the A-Team mission uh, that went to the Black Rock and blew the hatch open. The A-Team was a popular TV show that ran from 1983 through 1989. Um, the Outsiders, Johnny refers to Hurley as Pony Boy. Pony Boy Curtis is one of the main characters in this novel by S.E. Hinton, and it's 1983 movie adaption. Another major character is named Johnny. By the way... Good book, good movie. If you guys have never read it or seen it, have you guys ever read that book or seen it? Seen the movie? I have uh, neither. I've consumed neither. Oh, yeah, I, I missed out on that one too. Oh, listen, you have got to um, sometime. The the cast um, is is absolutely amazing uh, on on the movie itself. Um, the cast is a young Rob Lowe. Emilio Estevez, Matt Dillon, Tom Cruise, Patrick Swayze, Ralph Macchio. Um, I mean, it's just it's it's a very young cast of the, Leaf Garrett. Um, dude, it's it's a great it's a great movie. If you can check it out, if you don't want to read the book, it's uh, it's re- it's really interesting, but it's a, it's a good movie. 
I've actually heard a lot of people bring that up recently, so I think I should watch it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, and look, final <laughs> last one. Pop, we, we had a lot of pop culture. <laughs> we had a lot of this on. one. Yeah, it was up on the roof. Uh, this song by the Drifters is playing on the record player when Hurley and Rose take inventory. Woohoo! Yeah, I think that's the most pop culture connections we've ever had. It is, and it was loaded this week. So I think we're gonna get a lot. We're gonna get more of that. Like now that the hatch is involved, you can have a book on the shelf. You can have an album be played. You know, it's gonna be. There's gonna be a lot of pop culture connections. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that has been everybody hates Hugo. Uh, and next week on previously on Lost, we're gonna watch and found. <laughs> Get it, guys? Lost and found. Oh my goodness! Look how what look what they did there on that one, everybody. Oh, so uh, our next episode's title is "And Found." So looking forward to talking a little bit about that one. And Michael is going to be in that one, and we'll see what happens there. So, any other thoughts before we close out here? No, I'm I'm just now thinking about what happens in and found but uh i guess that's why we'll, uh, that's what we're gonna watch the episode <laughs> hey wait till we get the expose everybody and <laughs> oh hey look guys you can follow us on twitter uh follow the main network is at retro zapped we're at lost rewatch pod uh you can find me at the dc fanboy that's at the dc underscore fanboy i'm thinking about changing my twitter name i haven't quite figured out what i'm gonna do yet but it's coming uh, so, uh, Steven, what about you? What, uh, what can we find you can find me on Twitter at lucky 13, Steve. All right. And Corey, where can we find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at original Mav. Sweet. And you can find all of us on the retro zap discord channel. Please talk to us. We're bored. Please talk to us. Uh, <laughs> Just, just put a simple plea out there. By the way, thank you for all the uh, people who have rated our podcast already. If you want to rate us, hey, go to the iTunes store and uh, wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a five stars, five stars. And I'll tell you this, if you leave a review for us, we will read it on the air. And forever you will be you will be immortalized in the lost podcast itself. So just keep that in mind if you leave a review for us. Uh, everything else is at RetroZap.com, podcasts, posts, articles, T Public Store, or anything that may suit your fancy. So I'm going to go find a new record, guys, and uh, list something else because Drive, Sat, Drive Shaft absolutely sucks. So I like Drive Suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, anyways, guys, I am out. So thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll catch you next time here on Previously on Lost. Peace out, everybody. Peace out. All right. Go eat some chicken.